You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Welcome to an episode that we are calling Beyond Five, Beyond Financial Independence. And the premise for this really is once you finish your stint in corporate America, once you walk away from your nine to five, what are you going to do with all your free time? And actually, for many people, the their biggest problem with the acronym financially independent retire early fire is that entire concept of retired early. And it's one that's really hard to pin down in a single conversation. But I can say that while I know increasingly every single week, more and more people that are financially independent. I know very few people that are doing nothing with that financial independence, people that are just enjoying their time with pina coladas on the beach. Again, nothing against that, really. I I truly have nothing against it, but I can say objectively, I don't know very many people that their goal, their stated goal with the post-fi life is just pina coladas on a beach for weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years. It just, there's an aspect that I think in some perspective, it just doesn't feel super fulfilling and the reason I say that today is that with Ed, with this conversation that we want to do with you, buddy, I'm introducing you now. Ed is working with us at Choose FI, but more than that, he's far past the point of being financially independent. And parallel to that, he is the hardest working person I have ever met. And while money is clearly not a motivator for you at this point, I suspect that you are working harder now than you ever did when you were pursuing financial independence. The amount of energy that I've seen you in this case put into both Choose FI, working with us here at Choose FI, but also into this nonprofit that we've started to work on and build together, it's unreal. And and I think what I wanted to do is explore today in this episode with Brad, your path to financial independence, but also your why, your why of Beyond FI. And I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. So to help me with this, yes, I have you here, Ed, but also I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I am doing quite well. And yeah, I mean, I think you talked about Beyond Fi. As I've said before, and we've discussed internally, Choose Fi and spreading the financial independence message is truly the project of our lives. To me, and I, I can't wait to talk to Ed about this, This is why we put in so many hours. This is something we think about all the time. And how do we spread this message? What do we have to do? Jonathan, we've talked about autonomy, mastery, purpose, identity, and connection. And I think when you're looking for something beyond phi, that one or many of those five items, those are what lights you up. And I just can't wait to talk to Ed about this because I know that purpose and identity and connection I know those things are essential to him. And with that, Ed, welcome to the podcast. Wow, thanks. This is a real honor to be the show. I think I'm the first one in this setup, right? Yes, uh, we actually got this video studio just for you. So we can (laughs) have you in and we can do this particular episode. So welcome, welcome to the Chooseify podcast. But I gotta say for our audience, this may be the first time that you're hearing your voice. But in terms of the work that you've been doing that we have all as a community benefited from, it is in part to the insane amount of time and energy that you've invested into this community over really the last two years. So um, we're 
beyond excited, beyond five, beyond excited to be able to interview and find out more about your backstory. I wanted to actually start with that because you have reached financial independence. But if we go back to as an individual, your natural inclinations, we talk about me being a reluctant frugalist and Brad kind of leaning more on being a natural saver. What was your path to financial independence? So that's an awesome question. It's going to take me back like three decades. Um, so I'm from <laughs> Singapore. If folks from, you, you may have heard the accent. Um, yes, yeah, I'm from Singapore. And in the 1970s, Singapore was a third world country. It was struggling. It had just uh, been granted independence uh, from Great Britain. We grew up in a country where, frankly, it just wasn't a lot to go around. We had no, the country had no um, natural resources. All we had was two things the ability to educate and learn, and then the ability to work really, really hard. And that has kind of uh, resonated with, across like, my entire life, like just growing up in the country without much and in a family where we had a single working mom, we literally had to work really hard and keep learning and getting better at, at doing things. So that informed my worldview. Uh, I was 10 years old, going through life, learning everything and learning that I'm eminently coachable. I can always be learning. But also, by default, you had to be frugal. You had to optimize for everything. Um, I joke about my mom still um, hoarding plastic bags because um, she grew up in World War II Singapore where Singapore was uh, ruled by the Japanese. I joke about it, but then you could joke about me. I would do all kinds of things just to um, optimize and save a few dollars. It's, it's my wife often tells me, honey, you don't have to do this anymore. And I still do because you know what? It's just... Part of my DNA now. Can we talk about how last week Brad and I joined you at a Kroger to get 35 gallons worth of gas for uh, 66 cents? <laughs> hey, don't knock it. It's 66 cents, man. Come on, 35 gallons. No, we that did was, it, man. <laughs> that was amazing. And Ed, I'm curious, thinking back, so you said you're coachable. Right. Do you have any memory of a time where you had that epiphany? Like something, some win of... Instead of I'm smarter, the, you know, the fixed mindset of I'm smart or I'm not smart, you know, things that people get stuck with. Do you have that moment where something good happened from, well, I can learn or I am coachable? Yes. I would say that it was kind of like a, in the background, like knowing that I could learn things. And then it came to all to the, to the fore as a tipping point. That was when I was in the army. And um, this was around languages. Uh, one of my jobs in the military, uh, in the Singapore Army, was um, that I was the person that would travel ahead of the rest of the unit with allied countries and help set things up. So I'm the person going into an environment that is entirely foreign. Most times it's not even an English-speaking uh, situation and different cultures, different expectations. And it was my job to learn, learn languages, learn how to be accepted so that when the rest of my unit showed up, we were able to get straight to cross-training and, and going on exercises and, and, and various other things, complex moving parts that uh, made it uh, possible for two military units to come together. So I've learned French, I've learned Japanese, some Russian, German, and I already speak Mandarin, Chinese, uh, and English. Um, and so it became very apparent that all these different languages while I may not be fluent in them, I can walk into any bar on the planet and order two beers. <laughs> and so, the bar for survival. The bar for survival, exactly. Uh, no, okay. Well, no, I <laughs> really, I wanted to come back and actually talk to you about your time in, in the military, specifically because one of the things that strikes me, your ability to take a complex process and 
simplify it or create a way for other people to replicate it is, in my opinion, unparalleled. And I'm curious, your organizational abilities, I've never seen anything like that. Do you remember when you when you realized that that was a skill set that you had? Yeah, I mean, um, I was in a unit where I'm not the fastest guy. I'm not the strongest guy. I, I, I couldn't shoot as well as them. I couldn't do a lot of stuff as, as well as them, but I could organize. That, that was my superpower. I could organize. I could get things done. I could coordinate the Air Force and, and the Navy and aircraft on-site, artillery, like every single thing that needs for, for a complex operation to take, to take place. I was able to do that. And that was my epiphany. Guys who were much better soldiers than I was had a hard time managing that. They could not even get their finances in order. I had to help with their families, making sure paychecks were there. Like I was their financial coach in family um, because these superheroes just could not get those things in, in order. So yeah, I mean, my epiphany was in the military, being able to, to coordinate and organize these really complex operations. And where do you think that superpower came from, this ability to organize? Do you think it's attention to detail? Is it some type of empathy for other people? Because, I mean, as I've noticed, you're always thinking about how other people will react to right. something. And, and I'm curious if you have any thought of like what internal skills leads to you being, so, in my estimation and Jonathan's, world-class at organizing. Those were the words, yep. world-class. Yep. I've never witnessed, I would never even appreciate it organizational capacity as much as I did until I met you and realized how much that I was, I just wasn't aware of. Because this isn't like something, you don't have a degree in organization, right? I mean, you, you do have a degree, but this isn't something that you necessarily went to school for. This is a skill set that you cultivated. And I'm sure it was pretty rough at first. And now it's something that, again, Brad used those words, world-class. How does one develop that? And then maybe, honestly, if we're talking about providing actionable tips to a listener, someone is like, I'm really good at this, but I don't have a degree in this. How does one market that? I think it started, you're right. I, I did not go to school for this. Um, there was no university of organization. Maybe there is now, I don't know. Um, but uh, what really got me down this path was, I think when uh, earlier I had mentioned, we grew up not entirely poor, but we did not have a lot of things. So it's all about optimization. It's about finding uh, loopholes. It's about finding ways to get things done outside the norm. And to be able to do that, it often means that you trade in time to do research and to experiment and to poke holes at concepts and hypotheses and then find a better way. That in itself is a very multifaceted um, endeavor. And so I think even as like a, a teenager, I was already needed in trying to figure things out, make it better and organization came as a byproduct of that. It wasn't, I didn't start out intending to be better at organizing things, but uh, because of the need to, the dire need to basically be frugal and to optimize, organization became a very beneficial byproduct of that, Brett. Yeah. And moving forward, like I just kept doing it and repetition, right? Like you talk about like we, we do our reps, repetition made it, it's like, it's a working organizational muscle. I just kept doing it and doing it. And I got better and better at it. and. Uh, it came to a point where um, big companies around the world valued that, that skill. And um, from then on, it was very much a word of mouth situation. Like I have a very unimpressive resume. I don't think anyone in corporate America would hire me based on that resume. I know you've talked about how like we have awesome resume writers and stuff like that. My resume is not one that will get me a job. What gets me a job is word of mouth. 
one manager that I've had, one VP, one, one VP to another to go like, this guy's awesome. And then they hire me. I want to push back on that mostly because I agree, but I think it's important to highlight why I agree. First of all, massive limiting belief on your part that your resume would look, you know, it couldn't get you a job. It could get you a job. But I think if you go behind that, the better point is that if you crush it the way that you crush it and every single thing that you take on, you don't need a resume anymore. Word of mouth is, so we've, we've highlighted the whole point of the episode that we did was that word of mouth is incredibly powerful. And we talked to this whole episode about how to get any job you want. What you basically described is you could get any job you want because any company would be lucky to have you because you've developed a skill set that is in such high demand that when you went with one company, they would just, they just want to hold on to you. But then when you don't, you, they, then if they can't hold on to you, they want to refer you to one of their friends. If you can cultivate that skill set, you're not just, you're not just beyond five, you're beyond resumes. Uh, <laughs> so you could have, I mean, I guarantee you looking at your list of accomplishments, you could have a storied resume that would get you pretty much any job that you wanted. But, uh, so it's a, if, just to just acknowledge that, but the larger point is if, if you can cultivate a skill set that is in high demand, then you can get virtually any job you want. And I think that's where, where you are at now. And that's kind of what I'd like to do in the, in the few more minutes we want to spend on this is just extract for our listeners and our audience, just what exactly does that mean to have an organizational capacity? And why is that so valuable for, uh, for, for businesses all around the world? And Ed, this is exactly what I wanted to ask. It, it's easy for us to throw around the term world-class, right? But what that means for me is when I'm at the Richmond premiere of Playing With Fire and there are 500 people there, everything goes perfectly. And when I'm standing there and someone literally walks up to me and hands me both cough drops, lifesavers, and a bottle of water as if it's like a military operation, that's the kind of thing that nobody else is playing at that level. We're all about actionable tips. Talk us through how you would approach an event like that. Do you have pages of, of a list of standard operating procedures? Do you, how do you iterate that? Like aggregation of marginal gains. How would someone approach? Now, obviously, this is a microcosm. Nobody's going to run an event for 500 people, very few people listening to this are going to do this, but they can take that information and apply it to their life. How, how do you even mentally approach something like that? So you start early, uh, you marry a woman who is an event planner and who is much, much better at this than you are. <laughs> so my wife, Michelle, uh, she is as awesome as you think my organizational skills are. Michelle is, is like at another level altogether. And so I learned from her. Like I said, I'm always coachable. I'm always learning. And despite knowing that I'm good at organizing events like this, I know my wife is way better. And so for the Richmond event, uh, we had a template of a what we call in the business an event run order that was built by Michelle. And then I take that and I execute to the letter and anticipate uh, issues. And maybe that's the more salient point. Anyone can have a template, but you need to be able to communicate that with your team. So... For the Richmond screening, we had a call uh, a week before with all the volunteers. Like everyone going into the event knew his or her role. You guys, uh, as the principals of the event, will not have seen any of that because the ethos uh, of the among the event planning community is that um, we want the principals to. It needs to be effortless. It needs to seem effortless. That is the hallmark of a great event. If there are if there's major issues and a hang up, then you kind of you know, drop the ball somewhere. 
I want to extrapolate out what does it mean? Like we're getting a little, like Brad said, he's working microcosm. And this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I, I really think there's something valuable here because just a few weeks ago, we used the word, we used the phrase, you don't need permission from a college or you don't need permission from a college degree to learn a skill. If you have a skill, you will always be in demand. So it's one thing to say organization and many people immediately think about their closet and what a disaster it is. But I want to take extrapolate out from that. It's someone that possesses either innately or has learned uh, this organizational skill set, how it could apply to any business. And while it might be useful to spend a couple minutes talking about, you know, startup software culture in Silicon Valley, I, I want to go something just maybe a small business down the street. And we're just going to pick just low hanging fruit. We'll just talk about an HVAC company, an HVAC company that wants to scale and grow and become the HVAC company for their entire region wants to bring in a consultant to help them organize, scale, and grow. Let's use the word, like when we think about organization, let's instead insert scale and grow. If you were coming in and you were overhauling and helping them create a system to allow them to scale and grow, what would that look like? And I haven't prepared you for this. I have no idea what you're going to say, but I'm just, I'm curious because I think this is the heart. If someone says, I am an organization, I'm an organized person, but I don't know how to market that or how I could be most useful to small businesses right. in my area Ed, on day one, planning out the next couple of weeks, what would that look like? So your hot seat questions have really gone to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> for you, buddy, just for you. Boy, that's super stressful. Um, okay, so day one, I mean, we spent a lot of time getting a gathering intelligence. And so I'm going to give myself a little bit more time than one day. Um, but uh, the first week or two of with you guys, like a few months, um, was really gathering intelligence, figuring out, what this current state was and mapping out where future state needs to be and then figuring out all the different current resources. So it's really, really boring stuff, like doing things like an inventory of team members and their relative strengths and weaknesses, uh, doing an inventory of current resources and uh, processes and technology. It is stuff that will put the audience to sleep, <laughs> but it's really important to get a good understanding of where things are at for you to be able to get to where you want to go. It's almost a no-brainer. But that is what I will be doing first. Once I get a really good sense of all that, then I feel like I'm in a place to um, give some kind of advice that would actually land. And so typically that will cover three aspects of a business. The first really is a lead generation or marketing. Basically, um, if you want to grow, um, you need the business, you need the revenue streams to be able to fund and fuel that growth. So how do we then optimize for that? How do we optimize for growth? There are many ways to do it. There are multiple levers you can pull. There's, the, the easiest one really is if you already have a legion of fans, then you latch onto that. You get them to refer. And that could mean having some kind of a referral gamification system or gifts. Or There are multiple ways to tap into uh, that vein, that vein of gold, using your, your current fans. But beyond then, at some point, that's going to run out, but that will provide you with seed funding. That will provide you with the funding you need to take it to the next level. The next level being, you're going to have to cast your nets a bit wider uh, from a marketing perspective. Now you're looking at a, a cold audience. So if you think of a warm audience being your, your current customers, then the next stage is going to be your cold audience. And these are going to be people who may never have heard of your company, this HVAC company. But then, you know, we're looking at things like a top of the funnel. Ooh, I'm using jargon here. Um, <laughs> we're looking at things that, um, you know, appearing on 
traditional media like radio and television, but that's kind of hard to do. But also things like, you know, content marketing, you know, doing a podcast, that's never worked before. Um, and blogs, um, as well as um, doing some degree of uh, paid marketing. So things like with Google search and, 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 and social media and, and things like that. So th- there are many people who are much, much better at every single one of those things I talked about. That's not me. I'm not a specialist. But my job is to try and figure out building that, that marketing. That's so there's two other parts to this equation. There's two other parts to this, two other legs to the stool. So now that you've built up a demand or you have a plan to build a demand, then you need to be able to fulfill that demand because there's nothing more disastrous than building up a demand and then letting the ball drop, delivering a poor customer experience. That is, that is death to growth, right? So, so as you're building up the marketing, you need to scale up your operations to do that. Um, and that, depending on the, well, this is an HVAC business, so we need to make sure that um, there's someone who is, you're scaling up your systems to receive inquiries from, from new customers um, and, and treat them like royalty when and it comes. So there's a whole discipline around, you know, uh, customer experience uh, um, and, and as well as uh, managing the, those escalations, uh, any escalations through the system. Of course, you need to have your battalions of uh, field staff. So we'll talk about the guys and gals who hop into vans and show up and deliver stuff. So you need to have some kind of a training so that uh, when they show up, they are an ambassador of the brand. They are an ambassador of the business. So when you when, when these people show up in the customer's house, the game is on. Like the game is on, not just when you not ring the doorbell, the game is on when you drive into that neighborhood. It begins there. You don't do any crazy stuff like, you know, park illegally or you're smoking or whatever, whatever your, your company's brand is. It has to start when the team is gets in the vehicle, in the uniforms and all that. And when they show up, you're not just showing up at that house. You're showing up in, in front of the entire neighborhood. You want to make it easy. Assuming you're able to deliver a great customer experience to that house, those people may refer you to the rest of the neighbors, right? So you want to, you want to be, be cognizant of the fact that this is an opportunity. You have, you're driving a movable billboard and you want to deliver a great um, experience and no parking illegally, no shabby dressing, no like eating your food in the car and stuffing your face. That all no, right? It's all about the Hard optics. no. Full Hard stop. no. Hard pass. So like my wife will, will write an entire operations plan for the field team, right? So, and obviously like do a good job. That goes without saying. Kind of table stakes, right? <laughs> yeah, that's table stakes, right? Do a good job and then clean up after yourselves and leave. With companies like HVACs, it's actually a very low bar to grow into delivering a great customer experience. Um, respond. Respond quickly to inquiries. Always be proactive. Think through what the customer may want or need before they know that and deliver on that. So that's number two. Do I have time for number three? Please, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt this. I <laughs> just time for. I 10 hope that like wanna. like this is if you. I'm gonna wait till the end. I don't want to interrupt you. Tell us okay. number three. Okay. So at this point, we've built the demand, and we uh, have um, delivered on that demand. So the third thing then is scaling, not just marketing and uh, per se, but scaling the entire business process. I'm assuming you want to grow, and it's perfectly fine to not want to grow. So there's a expression, or I've read about this um, that. When you're running a business, you gotta keep growing. You gotta keep growing, growing, growing like a shark. You gotta, you cannot stop swimming or you, or the shark will die. That is not true. It's biologically not true. Sharks, there are, <laughs> there are kinds of sharks that will get like nurse sharks. 
that are happy just staying. We're staying just chilling, man. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> and it's also not true that uh, as a business, you got to keep growing. That is as bad as saying that we've got to keep buying BMWs. I mean, it's just not true. If your primary goal is work-life balance, then that's perfectly fine. Don't let anyone tell you that you've got to keep growing. But if you want to grow, then you got to scale the business up. You got to got to go into hiring. You got to figure out how you're going to sustain having a, a bigger fleet of vehicles. You're going to have to uh, have renegotiate uh, with your vendors. In this case, HVAC, right? So HVAC equipment, how do you start optimizing? At this point, you're, we're looking at optimization. We're looking at how you can negotiate using volume discounts to get the prices down. You're looking at how you can negotiate things like uh, with maybe advertising. We're looking at how volume, the keyword here, because we've built the growth, right? So how can you leverage volume to optimize your price points and to be able to um, deliver a better product and service uh, to your customers? So really it's marketing to fuel the growth, scaling up for that growth and using and optimizing the business. Yeah, Ed, there is, I mean, way too much there. We could spend an entire episode and we probably will on Friday talking just about the last five to seven minutes here. But the couple of things that jump out to me, the workers are ambassadors. How many companies don't train their employees that way and don't make that a priority? Probably more importantly, the second they walk in, like you said, if they're smoking cigarettes and throwing cigarette butts even at the front of the driveway. I mean, I actually had a company do that recently. They did a wonderful job otherwise. There was a team of guys that came to my house and did an amazing job. But I literally found two cigarette butts a couple days later, and that stuck with me. And it's something so small, but I cannot get that out of my head. I can't unsee it. Right, no, I quite <laughs> literally can't unsee it. And I guess the other thing, just going way back to the beginning, which it reminds me of finances. When people ask, how do you get started? You take an inventory, and maybe that's a difficult task mentally, of where am I today? You need to put it on paper, just like you did with Choose FI generally, right? Where are we today in order to determine where are we going? That is so crucial when it comes to finances. So many people just stick their head in the sand and they're afraid to look at, all right, what's the damage? And just getting it on paper and realizing, all right, this is the reality. How do I move forward with that reality and make the best of it going forward to reach my goals? And I think that is really crucial in life in business, and with your finances. Ed, I, to be honest with you, when we started this episode, wasn't expecting to go quite so deep, and I mean this in the best possible way, into how to create your dream job as someone who maybe says, I am good at organizing. You know, that's my skill set. What do I do with it? I feel like this episode has been a calling card for those individuals because I think after hearing that, it would be almost impossible to put in a Google search and get that as the answer. But after hearing this episode, you cannot unsee this. And so if you have a skill set, realize that, we quite literally used HVAC at random without preparation. Every single small business in the country needs this. They desperately needs that. And it's almost impossible to put a price tag on it. There's no degree that's worth more than someone that can come in and execute on the ideas that you just laid out. And so if you can present that to any business owner, you can get any job you want. And they would be lucky, lucky to have you. This is quite literally, if you are still in the market to get another job and you're trying to figure out how do I differentiate myself between someone who has a better resume and went to a better college, it's do the work. What if you went in for two weeks and worked for free and then demonstrated this level of organizational capacity, you'll be a VP. 
you'll be, you'll be able to get whatever position in the company you want. Forget the degree that your competitor has. You can do the work and your ability to communicate, your ability to demonstrate leadership, your ability to inspire others to raise their own bar is just unmatched. So anyways, it's why I knew that you possess this skill set. I've seen this. And when I had the chance to talk to you, I knew we had to extract just a small piece of that. I agree with Brad. We're not even close to finishing with this because this is a skill set that will never be out of demand. And the individuals that have natural inclinations toward this, if they know how to focus it, can provide for themselves and their families for life. So what I wanted to do next, Ed, is I actually wanted to change direction a little bit. Let's just, instead of talking about each individual stop you had, and I'll do it on your behalf, you working with the military, working in entrepreneurship, working in startup culture, working with Microsoft, I mean, just an incredible, an incredible resume, which is why I laugh when you said you didn't have a good resume. But I, I think it's important for our audience to realize, like, you didn't just barely reach 25X your annual expenses. Like the skill set we just laid out, I, I just, I was trying to demonstrate how valuable that is. You have reached fat five by any standard. You never need to work for a dollar again. And yet, even when you left, quote unquote, corporate America, and before you started working with us here at Choose FI, you found yourself volunteering significant, you and your wife volunteering significant amounts of your time working both in the local community and with others. And I'd love for you to tell us a bit more. When you left corporate America, when you went to retirement, what did you do with that, quote unquote, retirement? So I think uh, my wife, Michelle, will disagree with you that I went into retirement. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, that never happened. Um, No, um, I'm here because I believe in FI, financial independence. The RE has never resonated with me. It's an interesting thing to say it with people who are not in our community, but really, I'll never retire. Um, Earlier, you might have heard me say that uh, my wife comes with all the brilliant ideas. And I learned from her. So she was actually the first one to start. Like she was volunteering in homeschool. Like my wife basically turned our homeschool group into this. Oh, by the way, we homeschool. So we are homeschoolers. Um, that's, that's one of the important things in our lives. It's no good for me just to leave corporate America. We also felt that we had to have our kids homeschool. That way we can have a lot more autonomy over our lives. And my wife was one of the key people to create our homeschool community, the group of people that we had our children hang out with and learn with and socialize with. And beyond that, my wife also was volunteering at church, a homeless program. So she got me thinking, well, maybe I could be doing something useful too. So between teaching my kids history and science and other uh, topics. Apparently, I'm the discipline master, and I don't know how that happened. Beyond just homeschool, I volunteered with my state's disaster uh, recovery program. So, like, we deployed twice into like a mudslide as well as wildfires. Um, basically, as again, I'm the organizer. I, I I'm not the person in the mud. I'm the person making sure that the person in the mud is taken care of. So we deployed, and so I was volunteering in that, and also. I was volunteering with a uh, my city's uh, firefighters benevolent fund. So we have our nonprofit 501c3 nonprofit where we take care of um, first responders who have been hurt in the line of duty or who have developed injuries uh, in their retirement. And we, we help raise money to take care of uh, people who have been hurt serving us as a community. That really resonated with me. And the thing about volunteering and being engaged with your community, Jonathan, is that you start seeing more and more places where help is needed. 
And so a while ago, I, I had talked about how we were there to help people who serve us. That same mindset, that same framework carries over to men and women who have served the country and have gotten hurt either physically or psychologically protecting us. And I'm clearly talking about men and women who are former service members and from the military and who are in distress, living in, living out of their, their cars or having a hard time getting an appointment with, with the VA, the Veterans Administration. You start seeing these people who have given their best years of their life, literally given their best years of their life in service of the nation, but then have somehow fallen through the cracks. And so that felt to me as a former soldier, that felt to me like a very natural and logical progression into seeing what I could do to make a difference. And I started working with some veterans one-on-one, -on -one, mostly trying to address their financial issue because I'm no psychologist. I, I, I don't really know how to do this. But I felt that living in a car would just be a massive contributor to whatever other issues they have. It would be PTSD or, or depression. Just the mere fact that someone who served has to live in a car, something was wrong there. So I went about trying to figure out financially how do we bring them back a little bit from the precipice, how to get a job. And so I found him a job and, and all that. While that was valuable and continue to be valuable, it's not scalable. There's only so much each of us can do as individuals. And also, every time I talk to this gentleman, I'm reminded of, wow, he had every opportunity to be in a much better place while he was in the service. The, the, the fact of the matter is that when a woman or a man signs up to serve the country, they already have everything they need to separate from the service years down the road to be in a much better place financially. Maybe financially independent, but definitely on the path to financial independence. So honestly, Ed and Brad, I wanted to kind of use this as an opportunity to talk about the transition because I think, honestly, you approached us. Like many people never knew about this organizational capacity and what it would mean. Jonathan and Brad had no idea how much we needed you until we met you. <laughs> and, and until you said, you know, I think choose if I, in many ways, for whatever reason, the universe has handed us an opportunity to make the world a better place. This message is resonating with people and it seems to break through where maybe just pure academics doesn't seem to do that. We are so grateful for that. But I think one of the things in your mind was not so much to see choose if I just become massive as much as it is to make an impact in the world and specifically with your heart for having an impact for people that have dedicated their best years to service to this country. The first thing you ever talked to us about was, is there a way that we could start a nonprofit with these stated goals? That has been really your guiding light this entire time. And I think there were two things that it seemed to me became very apparent. One, it's great to work with individuals one-on-one, -on -one, but if you can catch them earlier in the process, if an ounce of prevention, right, an ounce of education, if you can, again, apply in your skills that create a process to force a better outcome, much earlier on, before we're trying to get someone out of their car, we're giving individuals the tools they need so they don't need it. They never end up there or at least reduce it drastically. 
that's kind of the opportunity that I feel like you saw. And Brad and I, I mean, we were talking about this information, but we didn't have that same vision. And we have aligned with you on this, right, Brad? I mean, this is now, this is increasingly a driving force for what we think that we can accomplish. And and I just wanted to talk about that for a few additional minutes. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. This idea for the foundation came with conversations with Ed. This was driven by you. And obviously, helping military service members is an essential piece of how we're moving forward. But I think a lot of it is financial literacy generally, right? To people in need of that information, wherever we find them. As I see it, that is kind of an overarching thought of this. We say all the time here at Choose FI, there's no financial literacy in schools. Well, how can we change that? So that's clearly a portion of where we're going with this foundation. There's no financial literacy in the military. As you've said, they have all the tools to potentially have a nice, wonderfully soft landing if they can be educated. That's another piece. How do we get this information? How do we get the tens upon tens of thousands of people who are in our FI community, hundreds of thousands of people? People are desperate to help. They love this idea. How do we get those people together and give them an opportunity to spread this message with financial literacy at its core? And I think that's where we see this foundation going. So Ed, you have been spearheading this for the last 18 months. And as a result of those efforts, what was just words has become the Chooseify International Foundation with the stated goal of spreading financial literacy around the world. And I say around the world. Honestly, when you first said it out loud, I thought it sounded kind of grandiose. <laughs> but you know, 18 months later, I feel very comfortable with that because I think that us, our, our ideas, our goals have had to catch up to yours. And in the best way possible, this foundation can, can reach audiences that we simply can't, while a podcast will, by its very definition, reach people that listen to podcasts. The Chooseify International Foundation can reach the audiences that really need this to most, the underserved. People that desperately need financial literacy, people that have laid down their lives and whose families are now what they need most is a strong financial backbone. This foundation, I am so excited about what it can be. And I love to project out what it can be, but I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about what is it today? You know, that's a great question, Jonathan. I'm really excited to say that um, one of the leading pieces of the foundation, the Choose FI International Foundation, that has a nice ring to it, um, <laughs> is around bringing um, a financial independence to the military. So we've got a curriculum that has been created to help the men and women who serve get started on the path to FI. And hopefully, by the time they separate from the service, yeah, they've got a soft landing, to, to, uh, in your words. The second big thing is, it, while we have while we have a curriculum for the military, it also makes sense um, to have something a course for our community, and so that would be a like a FI one hundred and one kind of course that our community can take to revisit and and what they already know, but more importantly, take that and share that with friends and family who have always wondered, hey, why do you drive that old beater? Why do you live in this house? That course has been built for our community to take and share with your friends and family. Yeah, I think that's one of the things our, our local groups have been asking us for for really the last two years. You know, it's this information is, is incredible. 
but it's hard for me to start from scratch and have them go listen to episode 100. When, when, if all of this is about taking action, can you create something that forces action and makes it super easy for me to bridge the gap and talk about this with friends, family members, neighbors, what would that actually look like? It was a very complimentary thing to create. And, and honestly, we didn't want to rush this. We didn't want to just throw something haphazard out into the universe. We wanted to make sure that it was adding value and that there was an infrastructure to support this. What did you say? Like I use this very early on. There's threads here. I think people will see the common themes. If you're going to create something, don't disappoint. Don't get people to show up and not have a support network to actually make sure that it's what it needs to be. That was one of the things that was very important. But the local groups have blown up beyond our wildest imaginations in large part. Why do you think they're growing up? Because people desire to have community and they want to get other people involved because they realize that it's so powerful. Everybody should have a soft landing. And it's pretty cool when you can provide information that allows someone to make small changes and radically make their life better in an intermediate time period. So I think what you guys have put together, what's been created is just mind-blowingly awesome. And you know, while these are the things that we've actually built, I think it's also important to take a few minutes, guys, and just talk about partnerships. We have been looking to partner with organizations that have these goals that are so aligned with ours. You know, we talk about how financial literacy is something that's so important to be creating and sharing. But it's important to point out that there's already organizations that are doing incredible work and to highlight those and promote those wherever possible. Case in point, junior achievement. Ed, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think their storied history is over 100 years yep. that they've been in this space actually advocating for financial literacy in school. So wherever possible, we're looking to partner with those types of organizations, junior achievements in particular. And then wherever there is not a financial literacy curriculum already available, we're looking to fill in the gap with our own financial literacy curriculum with a financial independence bent to it, talking about these concepts as well. Again, this is all about filling the gaps and making sure that with this opportunity that the universe has handed us, that we take this seriously and that we don't waste it, right? We've said that before. There is no they, don't waste it. To me, that's what the Chooseify International Foundation, that is what it is all about, making an impact. Yeah, and our partnership with Junior Achievement is not just about um, supporting them where, where in, with the curriculum where it counts. It's also about the opportunity for our community to volunteer and get the reps in and getting in front of school kids and helping them understand how important little measures taken at that age will impact the rest of their lives. We often hear from our community again and again, I wish I had known this 10 years ago. Well, we're making it so, to quote Captain Picard. <laughs> Captain Picard making a, making a cameo on the Choose If I podcast. <laughs> And I would be remiss if I didn't read the quote from Margaret Mead that we absolutely love here on the podcast. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I can certainly speak for the three of us, for our entire organization, for the FI community, that this is an opportunity to make a dent in the world. And I know that's why I'm so excited about it, why I spend so many hours, why we spend so many hours on this. It's truly important and it feels, again, like the project of our lives. And it's, it's an amazing opportunity to actually make a difference in the world. Yeah, and the Chooseify International Foundation believes in the importance of having access to this type of information, not just when you're 18 and you've already taken out the 30 to 40, $50,000 in student loan debt, but at the K through 12 level, when you can get this information to kids before they have made massive financial decisions, it's going to be incredibly powerful and transformational for the next generation. And so that's why we're looking to collaborate and partner wherever possible to make a difference. 
So to everyone listening to this, there is a lot of stuff that we just threw out there. And I think that one points to how big this is already and how big it is going to be. Also, how seriously that we're taking this and how much energy and time we're investing into this. And then two, that we need your help, right? I mean, that should be patently clear that this would not be possible, is not possible without your help. And there's so many different ways that you can help. I don't know what that is yet. I don't know what the best way, and it's probably different for different individuals, depending on your skills, inclinations, and time. But regardless of what that is, if something about this piqued your interest and you want to get involved in any capacity, whatever it looks like, and you want us just to know that you're raising your hand, my single ask of you today would be to go to chooseify.com slash help, chooseify.com slash help. And we're going to make it very simple for you just to let us know that you're interested, that you want to be involved, and you want us to provide you additional information as we have it. And you know that we have been building this as we go. This could iterate a thousand times, but by the end of next year, we would love for you to join us on this journey. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think we can really have an impact on the world. So, all right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.